0: Word Up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, journalist, and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. What that means is that I teach people how language programs consciousness, how language programs reality at large, and how to transform reality and evolve our consciousness with language. I've also been known to cultivate and share an opinion or two or 12 about culture and consciousness and how they are evolving, devolving, and being manipulated by the powers that were. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to fostering critical thinking while supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated, realized, amazing version of yourself. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle (laughs) and think. Given the radical uptick in censorship over the past few years, combined with the complete co-opting slash decimation of my own personal industry, journalism, I started WordUp to have a free speech-friendly platform in which to engage exploratory, solutions-based conversations with visionaries, mystics, original thinkers, and rebel badasses who are helping to make the world more wonderful. The first half of my interviews run between 30 to 90 minutes and are always posted here for free public listening. The second halves are reserved for paid supporters on my Patreon and my locals platforms where for as little as $5 a month you can access all of my second half conversations along with oodles of other bonus content and opportunities to drop in with me, to drop in with our High Vibe Tribe. and. And lots of other awesome things. In addition to interviews, WordUp also features quantum languaging upgrades, planetary service announcements, and propaganda analysis, which I call Spot the Propaganda. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing your sacred attention with me and our high vibe tribe of change makers. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can stay abreast of our every episode. Thank you for also clicking the like button, for sharing far and wide, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As well, if you are gleaning any value whatsoever from these shows, consider supporting me on Locals, and or Patreon. And as you are wanting to learn more about my quantum languaging coaching and consulting services or nab copies of my books, find me on dannycatz.com as well as on quantumlanguaging.com. Okay, I think that's it for our housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Hey, superstars. Welcome back to another episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. This show warrants a lengthier preamble than usual. Today I'm interviewing the founder of the LA Weekly, a dear friend of mine, and someone who I consider one of my journalism mentors, Jay Levin. Jay has a very different perspective and bent than most of the guests I've had on my podcast. And it's just a whole different, it's a whole different thing. And I think it's really valuable on a lot of different levels. So Jay Levin has been, you know, he started the LA Weekly back in 1978. I was not at the LA Weekly at the same time as Jay. However, Jay and I were friends and colleagues throughout my time at the weekly, and I do feel like he had an impact on my journalism career. I was also the copy manager for Jay's short-lived magazine, Real Talk LA. And I did contribute to that. So we did work together, you know, journalist editor in that capacity. As you follow me, you know that I've been heartbroken about the censorship situation for a long time. Um, and it's not just that it's you know interfering with my own income stream and signals the demise of our culture and our constitutional republic. Um, the gaslighting that goes along with it, I find to be particularly crazy making in the denial that it's happening, right? It's just like another layer of the psychological torture that we're all enduring, right? Left, right, center, apathetic. We're all undergoing some serious psychological Attack. This is just a particular piece of my own version of it that has been really hard on me. I reached out to Jay and my invitation was, hey, would you like to come on the podcast to talk about censorship as well as the social emotional learning work that you're doing? Because after Jay left journalism, he really put his heart and soul into social emotional learning learning. So um, Jay agreed to come on the podcast, and this was our podcast. And obviously, I was more interested in discussing the state of journalism and censorship and as you'll see in this conversation that that was a really weird conversation and the reason that i'm putting this out despite some misgivings is to give us a bird's eye view of the landscape right like my podcast can sometimes be slanted with people who are parroting many, not all, but many similar worldviews that I myself espouse, Jay is coming from a completely different worldview. And what I think is most interesting about this conversation are the walls up around the censorship conversation, are the denial, are how distracted Jay is, you know, for anyone watching this on a screen, you'll see Jay multitasking throughout the entire (laughs) stilted, um, completely unsatisfying, but also very illuminating and very revelatory part of our conversation that focused on journalism, if you're listening. Um, Just know that um, while we were having that conversation, Jay was not making eye contact with me and seemed to be doing other things on the computer until he decided that he didn't even want to talk about it anymore. So and then he gets into the social emotional learning, which I also realize is, you know, there's a lot of controversy around it. And I understand why. And I also think it's valuable to hear Jay's perspective. I can vouch for the fact that Jay is an incredibly well-intended, loving Um, beautiful man, right? So I know that, you know, for the people who are criticizing social emotional learning as a way of slipping Marxism into the culture, I think that's beyond valid. Um, And Jay actually speaks to it. But I also just want to, like, broaden the conversation um, and humanize the conversation and point to some of the paradoxes in the conversation. This was an interesting one. It was a little, it was a little hard on my heart. I didn't, I didn't get the big breakthrough out of it that I keep um, idealistically and probably, you know, delusionally hoping for. And, you know, I'm really interested in your feedback on this one because I think it's, it it shows a lot of the blockages that we're dealing with right now. And a lot of, um, you know, a lot of that polarization that seems to be keeping us from moving forward as a culture. All right. That does it for my, my little, uh, Preface to this conversation with J Levin. Before we dive in, I am reminding you to click this click the subscribe button to like to share, to comment. Um, as you're wanting to track, my every next video drop podcast episode, the impending launch of my book, the courses and webinars and live events that I do, your best way to keep appris of all that is to subscribe to my newsletter at dannykatz.com. I've heard a lot of people saying that Google has taken it upon themselves to unsubscribe them from my YouTube channel, that YouTube has been suppressing my content, making it hard to find. So... um still subscribe still hit the notification bell it's probably wise to like take action steps to navigate towards my youtube channel to keep abreast of what i'm doing and when you sign up for my newsletter um you'll definitely be able to stay in my loop this channel is not monetized i'm not getting any money from youtube or google so you're not being bombarded by ads. I don't have any um, advertisers sponsoring my show. This show is a labor of love. So the only funds that are coming in to support me continuing to do this work are from your donations on Patreon, and on locals. So if you're finding any value at all from this podcast from the content I put out, consider donating at either Patreon, locals or both where for as little as $5 a month, you will get access to all of my second half conversations, plus lots of extra stuff. All right, that does it for housekeeping. Thanks for um, enduring this rather lengthy preamble and prepare to enjoy my conversation with LA Weekly founder J. Levin. As a, a friend, as you know, one of my mentors in journalism, as the founder of the LA Weekly, which I know you founded in 1978, uh-huh. how you're feeling about journalism in 2023? What is your take on that landscape?
1: Well, I mean, journalism is all over the place because it's so spread out and thinned out now. It's are both spread out and thinned out. More people sitting themselves journalists. More websites start up with considerable journalism. Uh, but overall, it's pretty appalling. Um, you know, uh, it's um, you know for the investigative stuff. This that uh, everybody's relying on two or three three sources, right? Um, to, to be accurate, they're not always picking up on each other. Um, I mean, the major—you know—the Washington Post will pick up on the New York Times, et cetera. But out there in the hinterlands, uh, ninety-one percent of talk news is controlled by the right wing, uh, thanks to Reagan and the oligarchs. So um, a lot of a lot of what's happening out there and people across the country um, is fake news, false news, magnified by the pressures of. people's absorption in social media and where they think they get in the news, it's responsible. Uh, the American public has become super lazy. Uh, if, if it's not in terms of check fact-checking or finding fact-checking sources, that doesn't support it. Local journalism, which is so important um, is weakened by the, you know, the, the, um, in the major ways because local also will reflect national. So um, by the loss of local community newspapers and cutbacks in daily city newspapers on their, their work. So overall, it's not a healthy situation. Yeah.
2: Where do you get your
0: news from?
1: Uh, I get my news from s- selective sources I trust, um, uh, including business, the business press. The business press is actually does better, better journalism on a lot of important issues than you would suspect.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like Bloomberg is a good source of journalism. So there's things I learned to trust from them. Um, uh, I, belong to, I, I belong to a uh, society, a, a, a male group that kind of male brotherhood where we, get, we try to find the best information in the world and share it with each other, most reliable. Uh, one, just one of the elements of it, so we get it from there. Um, the uh, in terms of um, uh, specific sources, um, yeah, I still I still punt towards the left wing sources. I mean, it's port, there's an organ, a group called Portside Snapshot that very few people have heard about that does uh, some really deep, good good stuff, and I use a lot of the other. I, I test out a lot of the other stuff. Um, uh, the best, the best insightful journalism from a single human being, um, probably <clears throat> probably remains uh, Seth Abramson's work on uh, Twitter mm-hmm. and Substack. Um, and and his his own sources are, are usually pretty reliable, but you got to hunt and peck. You know, I, I had a conversation with somebody from Florida, from the South, yesterday, <clears throat> and who's immersed in in uh, right wing media and journalism, and it was and. It was it was revealing because the emotional attachment to being right around that stuff is very profound. So uh, um, I get, had to give I gave him a couple of examples of things he believed that were totally absolutely not so, and I gave him the sources where he could find out it's not so. And he, um, and, I, and he uh, he act, reacted with surprise. But because he, he knows he's been t- spent some time with me and trust me, he said, I, I'm, I'm really going to follow up on this because I don't want to be fooled by anybody. Mm-hmm. So, but there's a lot of fooling going on. So that's, the, that's what I think about journalism now.
0: <laughs> Did you ever think that you would see, I mean, a censorship period, but be this degree of censorship in your lifetime?
1: Uh, I've always seen censorship. I mean, I started an alternative newspaper because, you know, I was a New York journalist. I got to see what the New York Times wouldn't cover. I traveled the world. So I I became informed about American imperialism.
2: Um, uh, One of the things we did with... um,
1: Uh, the LA Weekly was when I was running it, and in in, we covered Central America very well, and American imperialism there, and um, uh, you know, it's El Salvador, you know, many many village, village massacres uh, by it's the Alta Cal Brigade, which was basically formed and led by uh, special forces. Um, and we blew it up and made a major deal of it and grassroots organizations grabbed it uh, because our reporting was very authentic about about it. Um, But the LA Times guy who was recovering it, uh, the State Department did a little bit of it, and pretty quickly he was removed from it. So I was very used to censored journalism all my life, even, even from the big guys. And it's one of the reasons I got to create an alternative newspaper. Mm-hmm. Major reason I created an alternative newspaper.
0: So in your estimation, is where we're at now not really that different from the censorship, censorship situation when you were at the Weekly?
1: There's more, there's more oligarchic control of false information than ever before. Uh, it's much harder. It's, it's, you wouldn't have MAGA but for the fact that uh, the oligarchs around Reagan convinced them to end the fairness doctrine, and so and they said, if you do it, I will buy up start by buying up local media, which they did. Clinton came along and as kissing of Wall Street, um, he uh, he expanded the the in the Communications Act, and I think it was 1996 expanded the rights of uh, existing corporations to buy more of those. And so they did. And so the sweep of inf- misinformation uh, just from the right and the loss of liberal voices and communities to counter it uh, uh, trans- transformed the country into what has led to the base of the MAGA movement. Yeah.
0: So do you feel like the censorship and the fake news, that the fake news is only coming out of the right wing and that the censorship is only favoring the right wing?
1: No, I mean, the the heaviest censorship and and not even censorship, but misinformation comes out of the right wing. Uh, Which sources
0: do you see it coming out of?
1: Uh, Yeah, it just comes, you know, Fox and Ken and all the, most of the grassroots stations, uh do, doing this work um the in terms of alignment with factual reality liberal media still still tends to be way ahead um, Really? yeah but is there areas of liberal media where they're blind and don't cover and, and miss you know misinformed by non-coverage or half coverage uh or sure plenty there there are
0: what do you make of um the left wing media's censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story before the election?
1: So the best thing I read on the Hunter Biden was th- there was no real censorship of it. It was the fact that the it was greatly exaggerated. Um, uh, and you know, just last week, the House Republicans had to admit they don't have the they don't have the information. They don't have the guy. And the information and the stuff with like that, so um
2: the I, people actually I, I
1: i have no i have no no claim about height but height but but the one thing I read that sounded most authentic, which I read about six months four months ago or something like that, I wasn't that interested in the story um uh Really laid out a very intelligent set of facts that seem to be convincing that it's well overblown. You had a you had a a, a Trump appointee Attorney General who Garland uh, decided to leave in place rather than change out simply because he had the Biden case and said you have no interference. So, if there were bigger things too that they could find to indict him for, them, this Republican guy on the GOP would would have done it. So, well, that's, I that's the best. It, I, that's the best I know about it. So as I
0: understand it, because I know at the time people were literally being deplatformed from Twitter for reposting the New York Post article, but the- I don't
1: know. I don't know that that's true, um, and so I don't want to comment on something that that may not be true.
0: No, I get that. But as a journalist, given that the information that they found on the laptop linked both Hunter and his father, who was running for president um, with Ukraine, and given that now we're sending billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine, like, do you think that that information would have been relevant? Um, I mean, is relevant now, but also would have been relevant before that election?
1: So there was a lot of good, a lot of heavy reporting around the time of, of the, uh, which I don't remember. Um, but if there was something really breakthrough at that point, it would have come out because it was under Trump's Trump control. They had the investigative authorities to do everything they wanted to do for, the, for years and they could never, they could never nail that. And, and you know, what I know about the Hunter ca- case is uh the best thing I know is that one piece I read which i don't remember at the moment, all the details of't I'm not concerned about uh, Hunter Biden is not a threat to the United States of america <laughs> and uh and uh, my focus on now is uh, I sort of gave up on the adult generation to save itself. And I'm working on getting the kids to save us from all the bullshit that we have to deal with in the world. Yeah.
0: I get it. I totally get it. Um, it feels like, I mean, what is your take on, did you ever get to see Plandemic 2 the movie that Mickey and I made together?
1: Uh, I think I saw it at some point. Yeah. I, and I kind of di- distantly follow the arguments about who's who's saying what and who's who's not? And if I signs some, up, find something credible uh that I that I think has got chops. I might read it and, and follow it, but i'm not I'm not an expert on this. you know the one thing I most read recently was about the claim that China came out of the China lab, et cetera, et cetera and the, It was a very authoritative piece by the guy who did the best investigation of all this. The scientists did it. And so that looked like uh, Trump propaganda. But um, um, but again, I'm not following this daily events the way I used to. And um, so I don't really want to comment any further about that.
0: I totally get it. I'm curious, though, regarding the censorship issue as a journalist. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that is probably the most censored documentary. Like, even when I've tried to share links in emails, it's been changed. Like, you know, we've both had posts taken down or been deplatformed. Like, do you feel like that is insane? Or, like, what do you, I mean, just well, the I,
1: I don't know the circumstances behind it. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I don't. I'm not familiar that familiar with it. I probably watched it once and uh, a couple of years whenever you put it out. And I am not the right person to comment on that or whatever. Uh, if um, I don't know why they did platform you, who and who did?
0: Um, I was deplatformed from Tumblr, from Linktree. Um, Anytime I've posted anything related to it, Instagram takes it down, Facebook takes it down. I mean, I've been targeted and suppressed and shadow banned because of writing that. Um, And, you know, not to mention all the other things, but just in terms of censorship as as a journalist and as a publisher, like, did you ever think that we would come here? Like, how does this line up with a constitutional republic when we no longer have freedom of the press?
1: Well, there's first of all, the press... The, there is no <laughs> we have freedom of the press and then to do whatever we want in the press and then each 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 press institution has the freedom to censor itself as it chooses that's part of the freedom so if they say we don't want to run this and share this with our audience for this or that or why reason that's that's been universal since the day they started the United States of America
0: what about people losing um, like PayPal p- privileges or credit card processing privileges as a result of articles that they've written or media that they've put well, that out?
1: Would be, that, that would be criminal.
0: That's if happening
1: anybody lose those all privilege? the privileges. Why should anybody lose those privileges? I don't know about this. You're telling me new information.
0: Yeah. That's Miriam. That's happening to quite a bit. And I know other, I know Matt has had issues, you know, Miriam Hanine. She, she yeah, wrote,
1: I, know, sure I know Miriam. Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, I know Matt Taibbi's been, had bank issues since working on the Twitter files.
2: Bank issues?
0: Well, losing access to credit card platforms, PayPal. Really? Oh yeah,
1: this is well, rampant. Well, that would be a major story. Right. Well, so if it's a major story uh, and it's, and it's pro- provable, right? Uh, what, uh, what's been the, uh, has Matt reached out to and said, to like the New York Times and said, OK, you can add some credibility to this, here's what's going on. Why don't you take a look at it and get a story out of it?
0: I don't know him personally, but of the other, you know, smaller journalists that I know who are all incurring this, like none of all of the big papers like the New York Times, the Washington Post, the ones that you've mentioned are so captured by the well, you may,
1: well, have you collectively put all the data together and gone to them and said to the editor, would you look into this?
0: I have not, but I know that locally Who
2: here... Who has? Who has?
0: Um, I don't I, know. If, I they mean, don't know
2: probably, hap- if
1: they don't know what's happening, you can't report on it. Well,
0: now. I can tell you in my experience here, like when I've reached out to the Santa Fe reporter from which I've now been banned or the New Mexican or all the papers here about um, the election interference that I've you know, done investigative journalism on or the election audit here was extremely corrupt. They hung up, they hang up on me, they yell at me. Like there's, there's no, they're so captured that they're not open to any actual truth that rubs up against the agendas that now they're just propagandizing.
1: Well, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that, you know, it, it, you know. I had enough. I don't know if, what information you're providing. Right when people would come to us uh, when I was running the weekly or other publications, when people would come to us with stories of that, we would we would carefully investigate them. And if they didn't hold up in any reasonable way. Right. So, you know, there was stuff we did on AIDS that everybody else wouldn't touch because we look very closely at the information. So if they're not. Stuff on AZT. uh, I don't I actually don't remember. Obviously, some years ago. Yeah. So but we 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 ran stuff about the, you know, the stuff around AIDS many years ago um so if they're good journalists they're going to check you out and if they find that it doesn't hold up they'll tell you it doesn't hold up
0: that hasn't and been my if you experience go, if you go, they'll
1: look at your facts they'll look at where you took your facts from they'll look to see if you distorted it and they're uh, good journalists will do that and say i'm sorry but the, here, here's what i got back and i'm not going to run this story and they could keep telling them the same thing over and over again. So I don't know what they did at this little paper in Santa Fe. Right? Okay. Right. Um, so, okay. I, so I can't comment. Obviously, if they didn't do, if they just dismissed well, you, it's not- if they dismiss you carte blanche, they're not doing their jobs.
0: Correct. They're if not. They, if, they, if,
1: they did, if they said after the first approach, hey, I found this, we could take a look at it. And they came back and said, no, we won't even look at it.
0: That's it. They won't even look at it. And these are papers for which I've written before, and I'm a good journalist. Like, I've I've never been, you know, made any sort of big factual errors that have come back in, right. in my so own. I, career.
1: I, I don't know because I'm not there. I can't. Right.
0: Yeah. So what I know you mentioned but, Reagan and what he did um, to allow like more sort of corporate monopolizing. What is your take on Obama's Smith Modernization Act that allowed um, the U.S. government to propagandize its own people?
2: I don't I'm not
1: familiar with the act. I can't comment on it. I don't know that, what that means. Propagandize its own people. Everybody's propagandizing all the time.
2: So the smith
0: Munt Act was, um, I believe it was in the 30s, and it prevented the U.S. government from using propaganda on its own people. And in 2013, Obama reversed that with the smith Munt Modernization Act, which then made it legal.
1: I'm not going to comment because I have no idea about the reality of that or what happened, et cetera. So let's talk about kids and not journalism.
2: Sure, what do you
0: wanna talk about?
1: Well, I wanted to talk about, I thought we were gonna talk mostly about um, uh, our campaign to get emotional intelligence training and life skills called social emotional learning in those schools.
0: Sure, tell us about it.
1: Okay, so, um, in my career, I was innately it's because I came from a dysfunctional, obviously dysfunctional family, I was innately interested in uh, as a journalist and anything that made positive change. I mean, if you had to take down in an institution that's, got, got a, that's full of cause causing damage, take it down. If, but the other side of it is, you could find the positive stuff in the world that would make a real difference. Uh, uh, share share that with the public. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So uh, my first experience, uh, aside from social causes like um, racism and uh, issues like that, um, and poverty, uh, my first experience with um, the inner world, life, the inner world was getting my, when I was about 22 years old, I got my newspaper in New York, But let me do a series on uh, modern therapy techniques and drug addiction, mm-hmm. and um, so I went to group therapy sessions and individual therapy sessions where I could for about several months. And over that period of time, I saw effective change happening in these people. In these people, the minds were being changed; they were learning skills to deal with the upsets that they were medicating, they were getting a different mindset on it. And they were getting a feeling of um, piece by piece by piece, a little bit more sense of, of empowerment and learning to deal cope, deal with ways in the world that they, in different ways with skill sets and different mindset. So I became uh, a very early advocate of uh, interchange and um, and it was convincing me something I, I absolutely had suspected all along and had a sense of, which is that virtually all human dis- dysfunctionality, conflict, individual, collective, right up to the nukes, is because it's a lack of skills and a maltraining historically passed down by hierarchical cultures in how to deal with your inner life your feelings, your relational lives, et cetera. And I, you know, and since you you know my first original lecture um, where I lay all this out step-by-step, step, um, then uh, it became obvious to me that this was important movement to cover. And I started writing about it more, both freelance and while I still in New York and um, some follow-up articles. Um, and when I started the weekly, we became the first urban weekly in the country to cover the, you know, what you might recall the human development movement
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? with feature stories, uh, we had, uh, also alternative health, we have Carolyn Rubin, etc. cetera. Um, Alan Bedina for a while was, was covering uh, a regular column on um, transformative issues. Uh, and along with everything else we were doing, you know, the anti-imperialism journalism, the getting these smog cleaned up in California, all our investigative reporting. Um, so it remained a feature in the weekly. Michael Ventura and I, were and mostly we took turns interviewing major figures in the world. Um, one of the most fun ones I have is Terrence McKenna said we put him on the map on the road map 262. To,
0: did you get to interview yeah. him yourself or did Michael do yeah, that: I way?
1: did I did Terrence. yeah How was that? It was fantastic. We had a great time. We became real buddies and we enjoyed each other. Nice. you know we visited from time to time if I was up in his area, you know kept up yeah it was good. cool. and he opened some other doors, uh, so it was cool um, so mm, and then, as you know, I started TV network, which was going to have all the same elements of the LA Weekly, but on a you know, national, level, international level. It didn't work out because they didn't roll out the digital channels as when they said they would. And um, so, I spent four years, went through a burnout, um, decided to do some take deep into look at myself and uh, take a break. And so, I went to the uh, spiritual psychology master's program at the University of Santa Monica, where I was learning, practicing, practicing uh, master's techniques, Ma- uh, master's I knew about. We were practicing techniques, and I found out that, that I had real chops as a life coach. So- I concur. You concur. So students would come home and work with me, want to come home and work with me because I was so good in the classroom. So I did that, and by within a year I had like twenty-four clients so, <laughs> a month. Wow! And I did that for another year or so, and uh, and then banked it down to part-time because so I wanted to get back into media. And uh, there were a variety of projects I then endeavored with, um, um, and also I started stuff. So I started founding additional nonprofits that I thought would make a difference, right? Um, one on, one on focusing on poverty and hunger in Los Angeles was one, another one was money out of politics, one, because that, that's the key to a uh, lack of democracy in this country, money and politics. Um, but, uh, when I banked it down, I started creating workshops to share what I knew. I said, yeah, you may come to a workshop before I worked with you directly. I don't remember, but a lot of people did. I did. And all those workshops are
2: still online and for free and on, on um, uh, YouTube, um, I can
1: send you the link if you want to share it. Yes, please. Later. Um, and flash forward a few years, and, and I've done, been doing some other media companies,
2: and, and uh, along the way, um, one of my best
1: friends, uh, my female w- women's sisters, said, you should talk to my sister because my sister is on the board of the school in Chatsworth where they're doing this stuff called social emotional learning, and you're going to fall in love with it. So I said, sure. So I went to see the school, and I fell in love because the kids would blow my mind. Mm-hmm. They, the way they related to each other, and how smart they were. I'm talking about eight, nine, 10-year-olds. I was thinking I'd I, I like to see them in the White House. Um, they, uh, the way they solved conflicts with each other, how present they were. Um, and it's because the school had been one of the early ones that really do saturation social-emotional learning and train the teachers in what's called responsive classroom, a whole other way of dealing with kids and talking to. What is that? Responsive classroom? Yes. It's a way of being with tr- kids. It's a training in how to be with kids that keeps them, that the, includes emotional, their emotional intelligence and their ability and how to... How to but, Gain their curiosity mm-hmm. out lecturing at them. Okay. okay. Gain, gain their interest. So it was, So, I started going to other schools and I saw the same thing in other schools. Okay. So I became an advocate for it. I'm going to tell you the long form story. Okay. Okay. Um, and um a friend of mine was was going to create a, I won't tell you the whole story. He was going to create a new peace organization with an Indian billionaire. He's somebody I had done some executive coaching with. Um, he asked me for guidance about what they should do to get more peace in the world. And I said, what are your ideas? And he said, um, well, you know, Gandhi lectures, more money to these people, this or that peace group. Etc. And I said, and they were going to have twenty million dollars the first year. And I said, and he said, um, I said, well, it's all bullshit. Uh, it's not going to go. It's being done over and over and over again. How much peace do you see in the world? So I said, peace is a skill set. You can't imagine peace. John Lennon's wrong. You can't imagine peace. It's a skill set. It's a way of learning to know how to be with your own reactive emotions, or to attack to judge against another person, um, uh, to get out of your divine self and knowingness and into your ego self. So you gotta, you don't wanna be one up or one down. So you did, that's, uh, that's a culture that's got war, that's in, been not, been passed along generation to generation, as you learn in psych school, how we pass this mal trainings along in the thought forms and the belief systems um and so when that's the case um you really need really to retrain the process of the kids how kids learn you get the earlier kids you got to get them early as best as possible and on the uh, adult side you got to do what you can on the outside side, side to get you know it's not just therapy it's retraining so you might want to so i said this is organization. This is social. There's this education movement called social emotional learning, and it's got these great skills. And um, and if you want to create a generation, that's going to take down the nukes and recreate it. You got to train them to do it. You got to train them to deal with conflict and with each other in a completely different mindset. Um, and it's not the my, me against you mindset.
0: What is
2: the mindset? The mindset is, is, uh, I'll show you a picture of the mindset. I'm gonna change my background for a minute. We use this on the website and then other stuff. And I'm gonna roll out of the way so you can see this. Cuteness. It's what, it's, what do we do to, to what's,
1: what's our natural divine loving self going to want to do except be loving and think about what we can play together and co-create together that's going to be, keep the world healthy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, just an emblem of it. We're going to go back to the other.
0: And would you take that same approach with any of the people who you've referenced as MAGA?
1: If I meet them, of course. I Like the guy I spoke to yesterday,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the last couple of days. Sure, of course.
2: Mm-hmm. They're
1: divine human beings and they're just, you know, I've been misguided enough in my life. We're all misguided and infiltrated by the culture. And, you know, so if you're a truth seeker, you, you recognize the, Divine essence of another human being, and you don't attack them, you just say, This is, you know, they share information, check this out. The next yeah. thing I left them with was um, whenever, you, whenever you hear something, just go Google, uh, what's the real, what's the facts about this and that, and you'll get a lot. And
0: Does it concern you that Google's totally co-opted and that it's- It can like- be
1: Google, or be anybody else. I, I, I don't know about totally co-opted. Well, in my, I mean,
0: Google. in my experience as a journalist, not to take us off, but like all the truth has been taken off of those searches.
1: Uh, that's nonsense. It's not all the truth has been taken off. There's billions and billions and billions, trillions of stuff out there. You just gotta find the stuff at risk that is. I mean, emot- in my experience,
0: right. and I've been trained pretty well as a journalist, and I cl- uh-huh. include you as one of my mentors. Like, the internet has changed really drastically in the past few years, and truth is really buried. And what they're presenting us with, it, mm-hmm. in my investigations, mm-hmm. is n- nowhere near the truth.
1: So if I if I go uh, Google true and you show up as one document and somebody in your stuff comes up as another document then I got to make a choice about what who I think has done the most best factual decisions so I'm talking about intelligent use of it so do you you say you your your stuff doesn't show up if you've already
0: oh no, the weekly's taken down my articles reality sandwich has taken down my articles links and do you post
1: your do you post your own articles on your own website?
0: Well, now I do, but uh, okay. links that used to exist have been taken down, uh, sites or videos, it's very hard to get to through a lot of these established uh-huh. browsers. like it's It's very tricky these days. Well, uh,
2: Okay. I'm I'm not keeping up with modern day Google
1: censorship. I, I know when I want to find something out on the web. Do you
0: know that Google is
2: owned Are by Google, Alphabet?
1: Yeah, I know what Google's owned by Alphabet, but there's a lot of independent stuff out there, like the, one, the ones I suggested to you. There's lots of pe- there's lots of intelligent report uh, stuff happening if, if you keep looking for it. So I want to come back to my story. Yes. Okay.
2: So. Um, Mm. the uh so i said to him
1: uh you ought to become an advocate global advocate for social emotional learning in all on all schools globally and really do a job and if you want to do something else you become the equivalence of doing getting businesses behind it for their for their employees right so we can get some adults you know, starting with uh Nonviolent communication training. Mm-hmm. So um, next he says, Well, I'll talk to the billionaire and his team about it, the CEO. The next morning I got a call. Uh and she said, You uh we want you to run the, the the foundation. So I cut a deal with them and I'm gonna make a very long story short, right? Uh put together a team, put together went off to meet the, the C. went to India, met the CEO and et cetera, et cetera. Didn't meet the billionaire because my friend didn't show up. My friend actually uh, had a breakdown. And at the end of it, some things he did just destroyed the whole project. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so that opportunity to do that in the world went away. So I went back to running media companies and doing what I do,
2: right?
0: can i ask a question where yeah. did social emotional learning and curriculum come from and when did it hit the culture it
1: came out of, it came out it came started happening coming out of the 1950s in the post-freudian movement okay so it became it was a group of <coughs> it was a group of people both in education and therapy who said what are the most positive transformative experiences that we can talk about that we know exist that that really help people come into a healthier state of mind and healthier relationships, right? Yep. And what if we could take those and gamify them and bring them down piece by piece to different age levels and find a way to to use, to, to have these soft skills learned in the schools, right? Like just how to not act out on and hit another kid. Right. Yeah. Basic, you know, some basic, all the basic stuff. And what if we could get their minds more open and, and to, to learning and how do we have to change education and how we teach and what we teach to get the kids and how can we stop? And how can we take the kids to feel better, safer in the schools around themselves? What kind of community processes can we use and how can we teach them, you know, the basics of conflict resolution skills? So they weren't punching each other out or creating clicks, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So they looked at the best information out there and, um, and they started developing these programs. Mm-hmm. Right? And then they got some fun, found, 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 foundation funding to test these programs in a variety of schools.
0: And this was back in the 50s?
1: Back in the 50s, more of the, they started developing the thinking about it back in the 50s,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? The, then it went on slowly over years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't put together an organization an, an organization to really promote it. And at the time, they did a lot of research, et cetera, until late 90s. Mm-hmm. Right? They started well, what was the name they,
0: of the organization?
1: The Collaborative for Academic and Social-Emotional Learning. Okay, and the reason that academic and social emotional learning is there is they decide to call it social emotional learning, which is not a good public sales idea. Um,
2: oh, it's one fifteen already gone. Okay, um, and the um, and they.
1: Um, and then they got this research test. They got some schools to allow for researching, a bunch of schools to allow for research testing. Mm-hmm. And they started coming out with really some early stage but very positive results in terms of behave, student behavior, right, student satisfaction, right, higher student grades, higher graduation rates, lower discipline incidents, all that stuff, all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And they and and then over the years, so then, then they said, okay, now we got to get get it out there more to the education community, and so uh, they began vetting, getting certain certain of the programs. They began inviting others to who had developed programs to get research money to test their programs, and they would only rec- start recommending programs that had research testing, right.
0: And who was funding these, the research?
1: A variety of um, foundations. Uh, it was mostly or out-of-pocket organizations. Um, it was not a lot of drive to make profit out of this. It was more like, what can we do to transform education so it works for more kids uh, and deals with, you know, stuff shit we see in the schools, gangs, drugs, uh, racism, right? What do we need to elevate the consciousness of kids though they would not dare, dare near go to
2: need the word consciousness, right? Yes. Um, so, uh,
1: so then they, you know, they launched it and then started growing across the country, right? And, and, for, and for challenging schools like Finally, years later, Chatsworth, where I I got to see the effects of this, you know, these are remarkable kids. Um, So, um, next thing that happened was as they grew the movement, right? um, The, uh, at some point later in the movement, probably about 12 years ago, right? There, some of the some grassroots there were now more program providers coming into it, more people with this kind of training to, coming in, to, hoping to get money to get their programs tested. Schools started ta- even taking on elements of the, of the training, you know, early morning, early morning elements of training, um, bullying training, et cetera, et cetera, non bullying training, et cetera, um, uh, as they learned about. You know, taking in these soft skills uh, learning. Ultimately, it's 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 a curriculum that covers, like, going from two and two is four to advanced advanced
2: uh, geometry, or you know. Uh, So, um, so these
1: other organizations started cropping up around the country, Um, and. Mostly was with educators coming together who had learned about learned these skills and want to see it in their schools. So they, um, there was a fellow Boston named Mitch Lyons, who, um, an attorney who wanted his grandchildren learned about this wanted his grandchildren to be able to have this experience, and he saw looked at the movement and said. Uh, there's no, like I did, there's no business association among these program providers. There's no public awareness. There's no legislative awareness. School districts, most school districts in the country never heard about these programs. What can we do to start doing, making a difference in Massachusetts? So we formed the Massachusetts Social-Emotional Learning Alliance,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, which brought together program providers and educators. And they started growing that movement and they started having a real effect on in Massachusetts. So out of that, states around them that they uh, started forming it. Mm-hmm. Okay, back to my story. Mm-hmm. This is um, so seven years ago, six and a half years ago. I was bored running another media company. It's one in the environmental area. Uh, I was a publisher. I wasn't a founder. And I wanted to do, I thought, I got depressed for a bit and I said, this is not the most important thing in the world to do. There's plenty of good stuff out there and they don't need me. They, they, can, they can replace me here. Um, and I thought, what would I like to do? Uh, and I thought, the single most effective social movement, potentially effective social movement in the world to transform a generation from this, from the uh, weirdness pathologies of our current generations, uh, including all the stuff you you, you find fault about, um, is comes from um, uh, this maltraining, historical maltraining, and the best thing I've ever come across to change that maltraining and, and and really evolve the mindsets and the human experiences is social emotional learning that was my conviction and so i thought i i said i wanted i'm going to do what we couldn't do with the 20 million dollars a year as a start (laughs) so i got some friends together took them to some schools got them to write some small small checks and we started uh equip our kids Mm -hmm. and our mission was and it remains, um, what, w- what was missing at that point was w- majorly uh, parent buy-in and support, parent awareness and buy-in and support. So we focused on that originally. Um, and from there we went, uh, which is all our tests to add, social emotional learning didn't work. Of course, I knew it wouldn't. Uh, but emotional intelligence linked to a list of life skills worked like clickbait. So when would, it,
0: when uh, you said you knew it wouldn't, you mean you knew it wouldn't um, like so work for the
1: cancer? I would never write a headline say, uh, about social emotional learning.
0: Got it. Okay. Right.
1: It's, you know, it's brain deadening term. You gotta got to relate it. to people. It's, right.
0: right. It doesn't really roll off the tongue in like a sex right. thingy so,
1: way. So, so. We started having success and building this up. So I started sharing the success with the grassroots organizations out there. So they would start changing how they present it. We started making videos and media for, for ourselves independently. And then we, we white label it for them, put their logos on it, those organizations. But I also realized at that time that there needed to be more organizations who were, were in too few states. They were growing but they needed to be more such grassroots organizations because Cassell was still focused on the education community. The grassroots organization needed to focus on to make a movement. You need public public awareness and you need grassroots support. That's how you get movements going. So uh, I had, I had Mitch and his executive director, um, uh, mentor me, and, uh, and, and I started the California Social Emotional Learning Line. I got a bunch of people in the room. Um, uh, got, that, got them
2: on the conference call line just before Zoom. <laughs> and um, uh,
1: of the 30 organizations in the room, 25 said, let's do it. So we started the California social emotional learning, which four years ago, I turned, I got a great executive director. We now have 3,500 educators in the state and members and really make a difference in the state. And now there's, and then we started working on developing pods and feeding the Through The, the, the few years ago, we collectively found, took the Massachusetts people and founded a national office allows the state alliances to collaborate and share best practices and help each other. So that's another piece, major piece of the movement. It's now big in the movement. And we we still provide the services to them. Uh, separate from that, uh, we help develop pods. We just help so that the, the national office can now provide already in place websites. So we got Three three states, southern states. Just a week before last, we had the first uh, meeting of the leadership for the Florida Social Emotional Learning Alliance. Now being formed. Nice. You know, I was at the meeting and uh, by Zoom, and um, we brought some of the people there and our work. Are
0: you guys getting funded? Like, let's just stick with the California branch. Are you guys getting any funding from? California itself, or from the California. And we don't. We
1: uh, Amy doesn't get any funding from. It's got to be. It's all got to be private donors. So and you, do any
0: of the private donors requires like specific ESG markers for the curriculum, or is that not? No, no, no.
1: no nothing like that. Cool. No, no, no. Curriculum is all left to the schools to decide which works best for them and the soup, and to get and because they want to have good results because. You know, they've got to perform and show their domains, they, you know, they try they, they take advice from other principles they know or other soups they know, this has worked for me, they look at the they'll test things out that nobody's heard of and find they get great results, even if it's not been tested, but they're getting great results if there's no research proof. Nice. Um, so they'll share it it's it, it's a whole mixed bag there's thousands of programs because it's different age groups get different programs and different programs for different things so um but overall the movement's growing um and um, and i've met some of the most wonderful intelligent conscious people in my life through it they're really committed heart-based committed people who want to want to want to Transform the world by transforming the generational expectations. Um, And uh, there's a huge amount of evidence about its effectiveness. When you do it comprehensively and you do it right. You don't just slap on to this or that program because they want you to.
2: Mm -hmm. It's
1: a growth movement. Teach schools have to learn how to do it. It, um, But in our work now, we keep, we, we kind of walk points for the movement. We can't test different areas. There's no student movement behind it. So, this year we decided to organize a student movement behind it. Mm-hmm. So, get the students themselves demanding it. We got a, a really smart student advisory board guiding us on that. Um, we just put together a campaign we're about to launch to. Um, <clears throat> Uh, get law enforcement behind it because it's the best thing forever for law enforcement. To meaning law meaning
0: enforcement. to bring social emotional learning into law enforcement or? No,
1: to get, to, get so, social, to, get, to get law enforcement agencies to publicly counter the right wing attack on it uh, by saying. What is
0: the basis for the right wing attack on social emotional learning?
1: Now there's two, there's two bases of it. Um, one is uh, the, the, it's like a conflict conflated with uh, school moving into doing some equity work around after Black Lives Matter.
0: Is so, there any truth to that?
1: Well, this truth, what the, what the truth is that the equity work is not social emotional learning, number one. OK, number
0: so you guys don't have anything to do with equity work.
1: I, no, the equity work that happens through social emotional learning is to de-prejudice you against another human being, whatever that is, whatever your does, prejudice
0: Does are. that assume that everyone is prejudiced?
1: That assumes that if the pre- that whatever attitudes you bring in about other human beings or from whatever, or prejudgments or scare tactics and don't go with it. this kid is not right, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is about learning to trust and be co-creative and co-loving with another human being. So is it,
0: is it reliant on the assumption that the kids are bringing bigotry or racism into the schools before that's been demonstrated?
1: Uh, schools that deal with discipline incidents and bullying and racial conflicts that exist, right? And they want to heal that and have the students be in there to learn and, and be present. Find social emotional learning skills where kids learn to like deal with this this stuff. Extraordinarily
2: helpful. But I, I so they have don't have to help. say, they don't have to. Can you zoom? Can you pause? Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. right but
0: is it um for schools that because i'm just thinking like i grew up in los angeles i'm a cali kid we didn't have any racial issues in any of my schools so if a social emotional program was brought in would they be addressing like bigotry and prejudices that hadn't yet been demonstrated or are they only being targeted towards schools where they're already having
1: whatever whatever, whatever Lead to antagonism about, towards another human being, right? They'll social-emotional learning addresses, right? The biggest, one of the biggest things is, uh, that had to be healed, that social-emotional learning started to heal, is attacks on gay kids. And that's still rampant across the country.
0: So, is there like LGBTQ related teachings and curriculums that these programs are bringing into schools?
1: Uh, until the gay, until kids started to, uh, forming gay, gay, LGBTQ, the movement got, became involved. Prior to the movement becoming involved, it was simply this if you, it was simply such and so is going to want to beat up on any kid in the career that's gay. We, we got to change that. So the schools have had social emotional learning and there weren't a a lot of them. I mean, it's been a growing, it's only in the last two years, it's really three years only really exploded. Found relief from that, with social emotional learning.
0: So are the social emotional learning programs directly addressing sexual preference? And if so, at what age are they starting?
1: They, They address, they started preschool and they address acceptance. Acceptance of all kids, no matter what the diversity.
0: Including MAGA?
1: Including kids coming from MAGA? Of course.
0: Are they, so is that part of the, the teaching that like accept gay kids? Accept- well, if a
1: kid comes in from MAGA and he says, I hate, I'm, I'm, I hate gay kids, right? Because that may be part of the MAGA mentality. Right. And he's going to go through social emotional learning programs, right? He's going to let go of that training.
0: And what about for the kids who come in and say, I hate MAGA?
1: Are, or hate that also being
0: addressed? Yeah, exactly.
1: Anything, anything that deals with uh, 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 negativity towards other human beings is addressed.
0: Is there any sort of attunement to the fact that kids' brains are so malleable and maybe kids that hadn't considered these, this type of bigotry might be being implanted with a lot of separation conscious? Consciousness with these teachings being brought into the school when kids are, you know, the,
1: uh, it's which we're talking about, we're asking about highly intelligent uh, leadership in schools where where you have it, who are sensitive to what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm.
2: Right?
1: They're not worried about, they're not concerned about. Um, uh, Maltraining the kids, they're they're concerned about what works to get the kids into a state of mind where where their grades go up, where where they relate to each other beautifully, where they go out and do projects in the community that they love doing, where they become, you know, happy, fulfilled uh, citizens who respect each other and know how to deal with each other's conflicts, right?
0: And so, when you mentioned the um, writing criticism of social emotional learning, is it? Are there any other aspects, or is it just this stuff?
1: The two things, the two things they spoke on is is once the Black Lives Matter happened, and some Mm -hmm. schools started doing some trainings. Some schools, very few, did did stuff, did some training that they claimed uh, could be. uh, imposed, uh, of making white kids feel bad about themselves,
2: and that's so not we're then... social,
1: that's not what social emotional learning does. Number one, number two, the other thing is once once they they found that parents were the transgender movement started, right? That led to the oh, transgender movement comes out of the queer movement, so now now there's an attack on the gay movement that you can read about every day in the press now,
0: uh,
1: from the right wing press. All, you
0: know, Mostly to... read about that in the left-wing press.
1: No, you can read about it in the right-wing press. The right-wing press is all over. These gay gay kids want to just you know pride pride days. There was a whole group like in Glendale. Uh,
2: they you know, um,
1: packing uh, uh, demonstrations demonstrations starting around the country about schools that don't uh, uh, um, uh, toe the line in their thinking about gay kids.
0: So what is that, what were the demonstrations about kids were demonstrating against,
1: I don't know. I actually don't remember because of Pride Week or something like that, school supporting Pride Week is
0: so do these social emotional learning programs um, teach young kids about transgenderism?
1: It teaches, kid, it teaches kids to respect any kid who, who, who uh, not to attack, attack or think clearly. I, I, I recently, visited, I recently visited, uh, revisited Chatsworth a couple of months ago. Which right? school? Uh, Chatsworth Community. And um, uh, there was one kid uh, who would, uh, was middling between that, right? Between what? Between whether he wanted to tran- ever transgender.
0: How old He's was this old. child?
1: 10 years old or something like that. 10 years old, 12 years old, right? And what,
0: what's your take on that, on that ambivalence in a child so young?
1: My take? Yeah. Well, uh, my take is um, I could do I could do a long lecture on this, but to, uh, sum it up in two sentences. Right, the human species is evolving. It's and it's, it's working to get itself aligned with whatever is the in, innate realities, and the spectrum of human of sexuality has always been a circle, but it's always been suppressed. And if, if that form is now present, it's an, it's, it's an expression of spirit trying to evolve into a clo- closer sense of reality, right? Do I think kids should transgender? No. I think adults, if they want to transgender, should transgender, right? I think it takes an adult mindset. But that's my own personal opinion. Mm-hmm. But the point about it is the setup in the school like that means the other kids are not gonna attack this kid and, and ostracize him and make him wrong or physically attack him because that's not their dynamic anymore.
0: Our kids—is there any sort of question about kids maybe becoming too thin-skinned and not developing the tools necessary to deal with what, in reality, is like a harsh? But the book? reason
1: kids become too thin-skinned because reality doesn't work for them, and they know it on an innate level, and they and they're not being trained to deal with reality. Social emotional learning creates some of the most re- resilient human beings in human history because they know how to deal with the reality of the sickness, the pathology, the subversive pathologies of our culture. They've learned not to be reactive to it. They've learned to be, uh, some of the leadership of the kid, some of the best stuff happening for in the suicide, the increase in suicides from is coming out of the leadership, out of teens themselves, creating suicide. The best, the best teen thing was created by teens, they deal with suicide. It's, so, it's, it's, so you have to think of it the species is evolving in lots of ways, and it's got to evolve faster before we nuke ourselves or reconcile ourselves. And that's, that's a, a zeitgeist. It's even unconscious, but it's being lived out in lots of people's lives, trying to sense their way to where they're not feeling oppressed or, in the world. And that doesn't mean they're getting the skills to be able to act it out. So that thin skinness is the sense of the sensitivity to what's not working outside them in the world.
0: And what happens when that, <laughs> you know, whether we can describe it as thin skinness or like a real solid um, rearing with this social emotional education, is this also what's informing when people like want to police other people's language or get upset because you know, someone used their wrong pronouns, like, how does that fold into? The
1: so spirit? that's that's uh, that's part of the reactive state of you're telling me what's right. I'm telling you, because I still got that judgmental why, but I may not have learned how to tell you how to get you to pay attention. I'm telling you I'm taking offense. You want to take offense at me. I'm strained to take offense back because i'm i'm I'm, I'm trained in the old paradigm. I'm the hierarchical paradigm, living out telling you, I don't want you to talk to me that way, right? And you may not like it, but that's me. That's my reality. You don't like me. I don't like you, right? Kids are trained in social emotional learning and, 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 uh, uh, and gay are gonna talk to the people about that in a completely different way.
0: And you brought in yeah. gay, so is, is, there, is there like it, um, an inextricable binding between social, emotional learning and gay? Is there? I don't know. You No, just- there's
1: only inextricable binding between your, your divine self and your ego self.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Either you're gonna operate from your divine self and all the loving gifts you have and be retrained in how to be with your own inner reactions and, with, and in relationship with others. You know, you go into a relationship, you can destroy it or you can make it beautiful. you a personal relationship. You know? And are how to make it beautiful? No, because you're maltrained. You're trained, you're trained into like blame and to gift and objectifying and making yourself one up or one down, and not wanting to be one down. That's your training. If you're, and-
0: what about when it comes to contr- like attempting to control external reality or attempting to control other people, other people's beliefs, other people's speech patterns, like
1: where is It's social not reality? about control. It's about it's about understanding others and being able to find common ground. Mm-hmm. I bring people out of their their limitations into where they can heal better. Where they can heal better. It's about you know it's like nonviolent communication for kids. Personally, to, to understand and then seek to be understood, right? It's about having the inner strength and dynamic inside yourself that you don't get reactive, right? And you can deal with the other person's reactive way in a way that creates self connection, feeling of safety, and then movement towards something positive.
0: Awesome. Well, it I is
1: awesome. It. it is awesome when it's done particularly right. Mm-hmm. And I've been around a lot of kids. And I've seen the leadership, like the leadership of the kids who created the uh, um, the suicide place. And they are evolved, hardly mar- remarkably evolved human beings.
0: What's the suicide? With a whole
1: different set of languaging and a whole different way of relating to the world. Yeah.
0: Are these kids who formed a, a suicide prevention club or what, what yeah, is the,
1: it? Uh, teen, I, think it's, I think the name of it is teen suicide. You can check it. Okay. It's not a club. It's, it's a, you know, who are you going to call if you're a teen and thinking about suicide? Where are you going to get? It's peer-to-peer.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Um, where can folks support your efforts, support this whole? They, they can
1: go event. to equipourkids.org, E-Q-U-I-P-O-R-G.org. Lots of information there. And uh, if they really want to support us, kick in a few bucks because we run on we do an amazing amount of stuff with a bunch of volunteers on, and your money will get, we've probably got an, an amazing little bit of money we've gotten, but give us big money and we'll get more. We probably got at least a couple of two, three million kids that be able to get this program, if not more. Awesome. And we've, helped, and we've really helped build the movement in a meaningful way and there's a lot more work to do.
0: I love this. I love that you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe we can bring my pop propaganda class for kids in as well. (laughs) Um, Jay, I know you have to go. Thank you so much for your time, for all your great work in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. Thanks for bringing my audience up to speed on this exciting realm of educational evolution.
1: Okay, great. How big is your audience, by
0: the way? It's massive, billions. Thanks so much for tuning in to this latest episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. I am reminding slash thanking you to and for (laughs) clicking that subscribe button, for liking, for sharing, for commenting, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As you are receiving any value from my podcast, as you dig it, as you listen regularly, consider supporting me on Patreon and or Locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half podcast interviews, as well as oodles of bonus content. Your support really goes a long way in supporting me as a journalist and an independent content creator navigate her way through... A really crunchy time in terms of free speech. And as you are wanting to learn more about my work in the world, my books, my products, my quantum languaging coaching and consulting, you can find me at dannykatz.com as well as quantumlanguaging.com. And if you're not down with a membership patronage platform and want to send me one-time donation, you can use the Bitcoin link if it actually appears on your podcast listening platform. You could also send me a one-time donation by way of PayPal at dannykatz at or by way of Venmo where my username is Sadie Bloom. Again, your support means the world and makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to continuing to share this work with the world. Thank you for sharing your sacred attention with me. Thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness and for having a rocking day. See you next time, superstars.